0: I was very young at the time. He was quite old. At least in my eyes at that age, you know, he seemed quite old. But uh, I uh, upbraided him about his uh, Terry Flynn and his uh, writing about cabbages and turnips and potatoes. As he said, he was a peasant poet. So... uh, I said, you should write something else. Oh, he said, I will. I'll write something else. And that was the origin of Raglan Road.
1: That was the voice of Dr. Hilda O'Malley, speaking in 1987, four decades after her meeting with the poet Patrick Kavanagh. It's difficult to define the connection between then-Hilda Moriarty and Kavanagh. Relationship? seems too grand a term, Encounter insufficient. What is clear from Hilda's words, though, is that she acted both as inspiration and provocateur, pushing Cavanagh to move beyond his peasant poet pigeonhole, and for the first time to embrace in verse his inextricable connection to the city of Dublin, however much he may begrudge this connection. Cavna, in turn, produced not only exquisite poetry, immortalising both Hilda and Dublin, but also a bona fide hit, a song that would be sung by some of the giants of Irish and international music, the Dubliners, Van Morrison, Sinead O'Connor, Mark Knopfler and Billy Bragg. Yet for more than 20 years after Kavanaugh penned it, On Raglan Road was a song without a singer. Just one more wear that Kavanagh pedalled around Dublin, convinced of its greatness. In 1966, mere months before his death, Kavanagh finally found his singer, and from here the piece would slowly but firmly embed itself within the public consciousness. On Raglan Road famously begins on an autumn day in 1944. Kavanagh's own path to Raglan Road, though, begins two years previously, when the poet would come tantalisingly close to attaining much of what had evaded him thus far. Financial security, social status, a beautiful wife and a comfortable home, before seeing it all slip from his grasp. It is here, too, that our story begins. In the autumn of 1944, Patrick Kavanagh moved into lodgings in Mrs. Kenny's boarding house at 19 Raglan Road, Dublin 4. Kavanagh's taking up of residence in the Raglan Road Guesthouse represented something of a new low in his already chequered five-year residence in the city, a city of which he would later say, I came to Dublin in 1939, it was the worst mistake of my life.
2: The of War had just started. I had my comfort,
3: little holding of Watley Hills beside the border. What was debated for a life. And yet I wasted what could have been my four glorious years begging and scrambling around the streets of malignant Dublin.
1: Yet just months prior to arriving at the Raglan Road guesthouse, Kavanagh seemed to have it made. From September 1942, he authored the Irish press's weekly city commentary column under the pen name Piers Ploughman. Kavanagh stated his aim in his first column as being, to give a countryman's impression of city life for the benefits of his friends in the country. Kavanagh's column, however, developed into something less akin to a postcard from the city to the country and more like a social diary. His biographer, Antoinette Quinn, notes that, as well as providing a welcome regular pay packet, city commentary offered him all manner of free entertainment, an entree to most social functions, from boxing tournaments to ballets. His press card enabled him to play the part of a well-to-do, leisured middle-class doublener of the period. He was a carefree man about town, happy to participate in the pleasures of the bourgeoisie. His taste in entertainment was remarkably eclectic.
4: On Saturday evening, in a place off Grafton Street, up narrow steep stairs to a loft like where a farmer would keep his grain. There were gathered as many of the city's intelligentsia as it is reasonable to expect on any one occasion. The occasion was the opening of what is called the Experimental Theater. There was nothing very experimental about it. I went to the Abbey to see what sort of a job F.J. McCormick would make out of Captain Boyle. It was an interesting performance, but nothing very original. Most of the actors were acting other actors. The greatest hammer thrower in the the world today is, without doubt, Bertie Hellion of Bell Mullet, whom I saw in action on Saturday last. He is six feet two tall. The season of the sports jacket and flannels is in. Due to rationing, there was less color of this kind on the streets. I suppose many men are waiting till the new coupons arrive in June. Next, I was anxious to hear of any news... I suppose I should say that the chief topic of news in highbrow circles during the past few days has been the rejection by the municipal gallery of a picture by a French painter, Roa. It is what is called, in intelligent circles, decadent art.
1: As Piers Ploughman, Kavanagh mingled with the celebrated and the influential. He found himself in a position to exert influence and bestow favours. A favourable mention in city commentary might improve the fortunes of the latest opening at the abbey or the gate. He is now a person of importance within the Dublin social set. In August 1943, Kavanagh holidays in Cork and Kerry and city commentary briefly becomes tourist commentary. It is on this trip that Kavanagh meets Nola O'Driscoll, a young Dublin woman holidaying with relatives in Cork. Quinn writes that, like most of the women with whom he became infatuated, Nola was middle class, highly intelligent, well educated and remarkably beautiful. Unlike most of the women with whom he was infatuated, Kavanaugh's feelings on this occasion are reciprocated. Before the holiday is over, Kavanagh proposes marriage. Nola accepts and writes to tell her parents that she is engaged to Piers Plowman. Back in Dublin, Nola presents Kavanaugh to her parents, who are aghast to discover that Nola's fiancée is less a suave and connected mover and shaker and more a dishevelled, down-at-heel, freelance writer with no fixed income, no visible assets and no certain career prospects. They persuade Nola to put the engagement on hold and to give Kavanagh time to get his affairs in order. Kavanagh sets out to do so. He found an unfurnished apartment at 62 Pembroke Road and took a one-year lease. He informed his employers at the Irish press of his marriage plans, hoping that this would be the impetus for them to offer him a permanent position. It soon became apparent, however, that they had no such intentions and on the contrary, Piers Ploughman's days were numbered and city commentary was to be cancelled. Other efforts to secure substantial employment proved fruitless. The engagement to NOLA was broken off by mid-March. As Quinn writes... With the demise of his city commentary column, Kavanaugh had at one blow lost his regular income, his hope of imminent marriage and the hobnobbing lifestyle of the Tatler-type correspondent that he had so enjoyed. Unable to afford the rent on the newly leased Pembroke Road apartment, Kavanaugh sublet the property and in summer 1944 retreated to his native Inneskeen County Monaghan.
2: The
3: one you love, the one you shouldn't
1: hurt at all. Returning to Dublin in the autumn and still lacking any regular source of income, Kavanagh took up residence in Mrs. Kenny's Raglan Road boarding house, where he made a somewhat reluctant and unhappy guest. The poet, Robert
5: Greason, was a fellow guest at the time and would later write that, Patrick Cavanagh stayed for a few months in the same guest-house in Raglan Road near Ballsbridge that I lived in. This was a somewhat genteel establishment, and there he seemed to enjoy outraging other residents. He would clump into the dining-room, march heavily as far as possible from the others, and, without a word of greeting, open a newspaper noisily. Friendly to me outside, he usually ignored me when we met in the house. I tried to stick up for him, but the teachers and sales reps simply refused to believe that such a man could be a significant poet, the most significant, in fact, then writing in Ireland. Cavanagh liked to think of himself as a real gentleman, free from the shams and hypocrisies of the lace curtain Irish. That is why he was so openly contemptuous of the people who stayed in the Ballsbridge guest house. Savage indignation lacerated him, disappointment and lack of money frustrated him.
1: This disappointment and frustration lifted somewhat, however, through the autumn of 1944 as he developed a close friendship with another then resident of Raglan Road, a young medical student named Hilda Moriarty. Hilda was an exceptionally intelligent, studious and well-read young woman who had matriculated at the age of 16, leaving her home in Dingle and taking up a place studying medicine in Dublin's Royal College of Surgeons. Poetry and popular myth has it that Kavner first saw Hilda on Raglan Road during that autumn of 1944, but in fact the pair had been aware of one another for some time previous. Kavna, it seems, first spotted Hilda during his daily people watching sessions, wherein he would take up residence on a bench at St. Stephen's Green's North Gate to watch the world go by. Reference to Hilda first appears in his poetry in the 1941 poem, A Ballad, which refers to a medical student in Bagot Street who passes me by in a frost that would make Casanova be prudent. As Hilda's son, the actor, Daryl O'Malley, told me, Kavanaugh first introduced himself to Hilda some months after.
3: Later, in 1941, he happened to be in Fred Hanna's bookshop in Nassau Street and, lo and behold, out of the corner of his eye, He spots Hilda Moriarty. He stood behind her at her shoulder and he said the following words, My favourite book is Moby Dick.
1: Now, in the autumn of 1944, both residing on Raglan Road, Kavanagh and Hilda would forge a close and somewhat unlikely
3: friendship. They became very close friends and um, they developed a a fairly strong relationship. It was... uh, whether it was a consumed relationship, I, I don't know, but they began to see be seen regularly in, uh, in cafes around the Grafton Street area, in Mitchells, which is now McDonald's on Grafton Street, and Robert Roberts was the other cafe uh, where Kavanaugh and Hilda used to go for coffee to Robert Roberts, which is where, um, where Captain America's is today and Hilda enjoys being with him, he somehow has a press pass and he gets invited to the opening nights at the Abbey and uh, the cinema and other events um, and she's usually in tow with him. He also introduces her to betting on horses. Uh, My mother became very expert at doing doubles and trebles and Yankees, six doubles, four trebles and an accumulator. Hilda's two friends, Joan and Therese, um, were completely baffled. Um, they were girls about town, and uh, Hilda would be invited to to hunt balls and to university events, and she would usually say to Therese and Joan, "No, I'm I'm meeting I'm meeting Paddy Kavanagh this evening, or whatever." So eventually, anyhow, they said. You know, that this, this um what she was doing spending so much of her time with Kavanaugh, seeing as so many good looking professional and well off men would love to, to even receive a smidgen of her attention. And Hilda responded, No, no, I, I like being with Paddy. He's he's not what people think he is or what maybe he appears to be he is. He's actually very sophisticated, very sophisticated and very sensitive. And more importantly, he makes me laugh. Yeah, I, I I am very fond of Paddy, and Hilda's two friends, of course, are, are, are dumbstruck.
1: The Kavanaugh scholar and biographer Una Agnew notes that
0: they talked about poetry and they talked about literature, and she was very interested. And he loved that about her—that she was able to converse about poetry and about—and he normally he didn't like that kind of conversation. He'd rather talk about horses and about, uh, you know, bet, putting bets on horses and so on. So they did have uh, an intellectual relationship.
1: This intellectual relationship also involved Hilda becoming a trusted reader of and commentator upon Kavna's
3: own work. Hilda was slowly becoming kind of the appraiser of his work, whether it was an excuse to meet her more often. or, But they used to meet now regularly for these appraisal meetings, which sometimes became intense And in a note that I have uh, here, she wrote to him prior to one meeting in the country shop, uh, Stephen Green, she wrote, Dear Paddy, if you really want to fulfil your ambition of becoming a cosmopolitan poet and writer, which I know you do, I feel you must move away from writing autobiographical narrative and reams about cabbages and turnips and donkeys and stony grey soil and start to write more about life and people, real, living, breathing people. You write with great compassion, Paddy, and are drawn to those who suffer at the hand of injustice. But your writing is full of a seething and rather unattractive resentment. It's clear that you're desperate to be a writer of wrongs, but you must realise that you cannot transform the world, Paddy. And somewhat taken aback with this rather blunt appraisal, Kavner responds in a note, I agree, Hilda. I think I will change my style. I will. I will start to write about people. I will immortalise you, Hilda, in poetry. I will. I promise. To which Hilda wrote a simple note back, We'll see, Paddy. We'll see.
0: Self a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. Next year, all troubles will be out of
1: sight. That December, Kavna, for the first time ever, did not return to Inneskeen to spend Christmas with his mother, but rather spent the festive period on the Dingle Peninsula in the company of Hilda and her brother Cyril.
3: So the relationship became strong, and in December of '44, he followed Hilda uh, home to Kerry for Christmas. And he stayed in uh, Morris Cruger's pub in Dunquin. Hilda's mother, Josephine, had died the previous year, and in actual fact, her father, Paddy, who was the doctor to West Kerry, wasn't there either. But he, her brother Cyril, who was a, a fighter pilot in the Royal Air Force, no less, was home that Christmas too. So, although Cavanagh uh, stayed in, in the pub in Dunquin, they spent four days. Hilda showed Cavanagh the wild beauty of, of of West Kerry for those four days. Cavanagh said to her, "God lives here somewhere, Hilda." Let's look for him. And uh, so on the day he was due to leave, Kavanagh took a bicycle from outside Kruger's uh, to get him back into Dingle in order to get the Tralee train. And um, on the train journey from Tralee back to Dublin, he wrote an essay, My Christmas in Kerry, for the Irish press in order to defray the expenses uh, or the cost of the trip. But the article highlighted the availability of drink in Kruger's pub in Dunquin on Christmas Day. And uh, Kruger Kavanagh was of course not amused and actually a couple of years later he accosted Kavanagh when he spotted him in the Adelphi Cinema in Dublin and a chase ensued and Kavanagh ran away from him, ran down O'Connell Street.
2: Just you wait and see
1: The following May of 1945, Cavanagh and Hilda would spend a memorable day together at Lord Dunsany's Manor in County Meath, a trip that would inspire the poem Blue Bells for Love, wherein Cavanagh first makes good on his pledge to immortalise Hilda in poetry.
3: On the 10th of May, Cavanagh uh, took Hilda to a... A Sunday lunch at Lord Dunsany's because Dunsany had been a patron of the poet Francis Ledwidge and Cavanagh wondered would he become his patron, his patron and he brought Hilda along for moral support and literary because he felt she'd be able to talk to Lord Dunsany and of course uh, Hilda was furious with Cavanagh because he kept calling Lord Dunsany Eddie. And while Lord Dunsany was very hospitable, he wasn't forthcoming with financial support. However, on that day, the 10th of May 1945, Hilda and Paddy spent the whole afternoon walking through the grounds of uh, Dunsany Castle, uh, after which he wrote Bluebells for Love, which, uh, for me, and actually for many, I think is possibly... Havner's greatest
5: poem. There will be bluebells growing under the big trees and you will be there and I will be there in May. For some other reason we both will have to delay the evening in Dunshockland to please some imagined relation. So both of us came to walk through that plantation. We will be interested in the grass, in an old bucket hoop, in the ivy that weaves green incongruity among the dead leaves, we will put on surprise at carts that pass, only sometimes looking sideways at the bluebells in the plantation, and never frighten them with too wild an exclamation. We will be wise, we will not let them guess that we are watching them, or they will pose a mere façade like boys caught out in virtue's naturalness. We will not impose on the bluebells in that plantation too much of our desire's adulation. We will have other loves, or so they'll think, the primroses or the ferns or the briars or even the rusty paling wires or the violets on the sunless sorrel bank. Only, as an aside, the bluebells in the plantation will mean a thing to our dark contemplation. We know love little by little glance by glance. Ah, the clay under these roots is so brown. We'll steal from heaven while God is in the town. I caught an angel smiling in a chance look through the three trunks of the plantation as you and I walked slowly to the station. Bluebells
1: for Love predates on Raglan Road as Cavanagh's first great love poem to Hilda. As Una Agnew suggests, it is also perhaps his first attempt to express this love by incorporating elements of popular song, an approach that would later bear such rich fruit in Unragland Road.
0: It's very sweet love poem, really. But it also has an echo of Vera Lynn's war song, you know, there'll be bluebirds over the white cliffs of Dover. And those love songs were very much in vogue during those war years. I just think there's an uncanny resemblance there between there will be bluebirds over the whitelists of Dover and there will be bluebells growing under the big trees and you'll be there and I'll be there in May. It's it's also like the beautiful love songs of We'll Meet Again. And Kavanagh knew that um, he could see this. He could see this so clearly that if he wrote a really good love song for Hilda, that he could win her over.
1: Shortly after the Dunsany trip that inspired Bluebells for Love, however, Kavanagh begins to notice that Hilda is avoiding him, and in a letter now housed in the National Library in Dublin, he writes to her.
5: My dearest Hilda, please do not take exception to the address of dearest or think it presumption on my part. I am no longer mad about you, although I do like you very, very much. I like you because of your enchanting selfishness, and I really am your friend, if you will let me. I should not perhaps write this letter to you without you replying to my other, but I am in such good humour regarding you that I want you to know it. Remembering you is like remembering some dear one who has died. There has never been and never will be another woman who can be the same to me as you have been. Your friendship or love or whatever it was, was so curious, so different. I wish you would write me a friendly letter even if I cannot see you. Believe me, Hilda, yours fondly, Patrick.
3: So, she didn't finish her relationship with him because in 1946, Charlie Fitzsimons, who was Maureen O'Hara's brother, got a little job working on the casting of a film with the famous film director, Carol Reed, and the casting of the Hollywood feature, Odd Man Out, and Carl Reid wanted an Irish girl to play the, the, leading, the leading lady in it. He wanted her to be Irish. And Charlie Fitzsimons got the job of finding an Irish girl. And he pleaded with, uh, with Hilda to screen test for the role of Kathleen Sullivan. But Kavner went out of his way to prevent her screen testing. And actually, the role went in the film Odd Man Out, opposite James Mason, um, to Kathleen Ryan who was actually John Ryan, who owned the Bailey, was John's sister, and also a sister of Joan Ryan, who was Hilda's best friend. And uh, Odd Man Out went on to be nominated for an Oscar. But Tilda later admitted that um, you know her sense that Kavanaugh was becoming too possessive. She mistook his protection as possessiveness. He was trying to protect her from, uh, from all kinds of... Uh, potential debauchery and that same year as well Hilda she she, she did sit for the artist now renowned artist Harry Curnoff but the international the world famous Sean O'Sullivan portrait artist was begging Hilda to sit for a portrait but Kavanagh advises in a note because Sean O'Sullivan was reputed to often seduce his models Kavanagh wrote her a note take care that you would have anything to do with that reprobate
1: in March of 1946, however, Hilda would meet her future husband and future Minister for Education, Donagh O'Malley, and would cease all contact with Kavanagh.
3: In March, during a break from her studies, Hilda went to Kerry and after a rugby match in Tralee, she met uh, her husband, Donagh O'Malley, who was an engineer, but at the time one of Ireland's top rugby players and swimmers. And in fact, Donagh's fiancée, Audrey Harris, who was a sister of uh, actor Richard Harris, had just died at the age of 21. And on the team bus on his way home, O'Malley wrote an eight-page letter to Hilda in green biro, and he has the the letter hand-delivered to Hilda and Dingle by the bus driver at his return to Kerry. So, 1946, it's kind of coming to a close, uh, the relationship And Hilda slowly begins to end the relationship and stops responding to any of his calls, letters, notes or invitations. And that inspired a poem written in the middle of the night called Dead in a Ditch, which Kavanagh frantically delivers, scribbled on a folded, tiny copybook page through Hilda's letterbox uh, on Raglan Road. And the note reads, dead in a ditch, to Hilda. Unless you come, I shall die in a ditch. Poet, dead in a ditch. There will be no bluebells there, only the vetch, smelling of death, weeds around me, the mud of hooves that prance there, falling over my eyes. Rags of beathers that passed will clothe my soul. The winter will come through the bushes. Rain will fall, making puddles in my face. The snow will come and cover me up like the babes in the wood. Then no one will stop to examine the heap. No one will know where a poet's asleep. I shall die in a ditch like a dog or a bum. Poet dead in a ditch unless you come. Dead in a Ditch brims with the
1: seething and unattractive resentment for which Hilda had previously reprimanded Kavanagh. It is not difficult to see why the piece remained unpublished. Kavanagh's torment, however, would find more mournful expression in his next poem, initially entitled Dark-Haired Miriam Ran Away and later renamed On Raglan Road.
3: The following day he began work on a poem which was published as dark haired miriam ran away and it was later renamed on raglan road and it was in fact um well it wasn't the last in the series of maybe nine Kavanaugh poems that feature or were inspired by hilda moriarty it was one of the last and on april the third on raglan road Uh, was uh, published for the first time in the Irish press, uh, April 3rd, 1946. And uh, to avoid embarrassing Hilda, of course, Kavanagh used the name of his brother Peter's girlfriend in the the title of the poem, which was then called Dark-haired Miriam ran away.
1: It is within this poem that Kavanagh would make good upon his pledge to Hilda, immortalising her in the time they spent together the Grafton Street cafes, the afternoons discussing poetry and writing. He does so not only in poetry, but also in song. Kavna composed the piece to the old Irish air, Fáiná Gíallán Lé, or The Dawning of the Day, incorporating its melody, its internal rhyming structure and indeed its title. There are numerous likely reasons why Kavna was drawn to this particular air. Traditionally one of the first melodies that young Irish children learned, it had been taught to Kavanagh by his father James on the Melodion as a young boy. Lyrically, the dawning of the day is an example of an ashleen or vision poem, an old Gaelic form wherein the poet meets a beautiful, otherworldly woman who charms him but eventually disappears. Kavanaugh was also struck by the inclusion of the Irish tenor John McCormick's recording of The Dawning of the Day in the 1937 movie Wings of the Morning, noting perhaps how seamlessly it integrated into the modern medium of the cinema. He was convinced that his new ballad had similar hit potential and that it could also light up the silver screen. It is said that he sent a recording of himself singing the piece to Alfred Hitchcock, having long admired Hitchcock's film version of Sean O'Casey's Juno and the Peacock. He sent another to the director John Ford when he was in Ireland filming the 1952 movie The Quiet Man. He gave a tape also to Kathleen Ryan, now something of a Hollywood star following her performance in Odd Man Out, in the hope that she would promote the piece around Hollywood. None of these efforts proved fruitful, however, and for two decades following its publication, On Raglan Road remained a little-known curiosity, performed from time to time by Kavna himself or some of those within his immediate social circle.
2: O oh, Kamali tramps and the hawkard lads and the abloh that tramps the country round and round. Come, listen, in and oh. I'll tell thee a rovin' tale O oh sights that I have seen. It's far in tate, a snowy north, and by Gretna Green. Oft times I've laughed
1: and Sometime in 1966, myself, however, Kavanaugh finally found the singer who could deliver on his vision for the piece when he encountered a young Luke Kelly at a session in Dublin's Bailey pub. Kelly would later recount the meeting during an RTE television tribute to Kavanaugh. Another old
4: friend, Luke Kelly of uh, the Dubliners, and with him, Al O'Donnell. And, uh, of course, Luke, you remember yourself meeting uh, the Mr
5: Kavanaugh.
2: Yeah, on, on the one occasion that I, that I dared actually to speak to the man. Because, as Ben said earlier on, he was a, a rough sort of man. But... um. We were in a pub. We won't name the pub. I don't suppose it's on television. Well, it was in the Bailey, anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he was singing in his own peculiar manner, and so was I in my own peculiar manner. And he said, i have got a song for you." <laughs> and he said, "You should sing Raglan Road."
1: Kelly's performance makes some subtle changes to Kavner's words. On Raglan Road, on an autumn day, I met her first and new. In Kelly's rendition, becomes I saw her first and new a slight change that nonetheless pushes the piece more into the realm of the pop song, echoing hits of the then-recent past, such as I Saw Her Standing There. Kelly also brings a uniquely Dublin gravitas to the piece, the final element required for Cavnet to fully realise Hilda's endeavour to him to become a cosmopolitan poet and writer, to move beyond the rural tradition with which he had thus far been associated. Kelly's biographer Des Geraghty quotes a conversation between Kelly and Frank Hart, another Dublin folk singer, wherein the pair discuss the difference between the Dublin and the rural tradition within Irish music. Hart observes that the Dublin song is completely different. The Dublin man is not going to say, One evening fair as flora bright her radiant smiles displayed. He's going to say, I met me Mott the other morning he's never going to get involved in the sentiment that the rural expression can. In Kelly and Kavanagh, however, these two traditions meet. Kavanagh's pastoral poetry, his mix of urban and rural imagery, infused with what Geraghty calls the memory and loss and Dublin bittersweet toughness that Kelly brings to the piece. Sadly, however, Kavanaugh would not live to see Kelly's interpretation connect with the public consciousness.
6: I awoke with a pain in my head and my mother standing at the end of the bed. It was bad news in the paper, she said. Patrick Kavanagh is dead. After a week which was not real, at last I settled down to a natural meal. I was sitting over a pint. And a beef sandwich in Mooney's across the street from the rotunda. By accident, I happened to tune in to the conversation at the table from me. I heard an old North Cider tell to his missus he was pure straight, God rest him,
1: not like us. That was Paul Durkin, reading from his poem November 1967, written on the occasion of Kavanaugh's death. In November 1967, during a performance of his play Tarry Flynn in Dundalk Town Hall, Kavanaugh took ill and died days later on November 30th. Kavanaugh's biographer Antoinette Quinn writes that Hilda sent a wreath of red roses to his funeral, arranged in the shape of a H, an acknowledgement, she suggests, that his love for Hilda had not been one-sided. This gesture has since entered popular myth about Kavanagh and Hilda. Myth, however, is precisely what it is. Hilda did indeed pay her respects, but she did so not through a floral bouquet bearing her initial, but in person and in somewhat more understated and discreet fashion
3: when he died in 1967 it's chronicled that she sent a, a wreath of roses to the cemetery in Inchkeem that didn't happen but what she did do was she heard on the friday uh his funeral mass was i think it was on a saturday morning and uh Dunic o'malley who 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 was minister uh then uh she took got the state car to drive her to the church in haddington road for for paddy's for Paddy Kavanagh's mass, and she stood at the back of the church, and uh, she left quietly at the end of the mass.
1: Following Kavanagh's death, on Raglan Road would become more enshrined within the Dubliners' repertoire. Now taking on a new layer of poignancy, serving as something of a tribute to the late poet. Its rise to prominence, however, remained gradual, and its initial appearances on record were somewhat underwhelming. Its first release as a recording was on a US-only version of the At Home with the Dubliners album in 1969. In 1971, the band released it as the B-side to the Phil Coulter composition Scorn Not His Simplicity. In 1972, it featured on the live album Hometown, but suffered the indignity of being chopped in two, its first half appearing at the end of Side A as Raglan Road Part 1, the remainder at the start of Side B as Raglan Road Part 2, a consequence, it seems, of the engineer forgetting to change the tape during the concert recording. Gradually, however, the piece would become firmly enshrined within the public consciousness and within the repertoire of the broader Irish and international musical community. In 1988, Van Morrison and the Chieftains would include a version on their Irish Heartbeat album and from here it would be taken up by international artists such as Dire Straits' Mark Knopfler and the English singer-songwriter Billy Bragg. I
2: was 21 years when I wrote this song on 22 now but I won't be full on People ask me, when were you to be a man?
1: But
7: all the girls are at the school already pushing grams. On Raglan Road on an autumn day, I saw her first and knew that her dark hair would weave a snare that I might one day rue. I saw the danger, yet I walked along the enchanted way and I said, let grief be a fallen leaf at the dawning of the day. The first version I heard was the um, Van Morrison version on Irish heartbeat with the Chieftains. Um, I was listening to a lot of Van Morrison back then. And uh, that kind of really drew me in because I was in a similar kind of relationship. I was in a similar sort of, uh, you know, I love too much and by such and such this happiness thrown away kind of relationship. So it really resonated with me. And then I, I found the Luke Kelly version and that really done me head in that, really was like, wow, this is, a, this is a, a massive song. Workers Playtime is my great breakup album. And it's the, it's the, you know, the woman that so many of those songs is about. When I would recorded the, the record, I, I every day she used to cycle over Hammersmith Bridge on her way back from where she worked, and I waited for her there. And I told her I gave her the cassette with all the songs on for her to listen to that I'd written about her, uh, and she threw it over the bridge into the river. So, in kind of you can understand why Raglan Road might resonate with, with me a bit. Um, I mean, they weren't they weren't nice songs. They were about the breakup. You know, it's must I paint you a picture? Uh, you know. All those kind of sort of heartbreak, Price I Pay, heart, all those heartbreak songs. You know, it was a titanic love affair that hit the iceberg and uh, I ended up with uh, writing an album about it. So in that context, when you're out on the road in that kind of mood and you hear Raglan Road, you can understand why it would immediately connect with me. Mr.
2: I do a About the white I.
7: The key line for me in it, the key line is when he says, uh, I gave a gifts to the mind, I gave a, the secret sign. When he talks about the secret sign, he's really getting down to the fundamental alchemy of poetry or songwriting. And that is, how do you take a series of incidents that actually happened and transform them into art? And the secret sign is available to the 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 woman in the poem, Hilda Moriarty. He's shown her the secret sign because she actually lived those moments with him. She's beside him. She's not just the subject, but she was also there when those moments happened. So she has an insight into the process whereby uh, something that happened becomes poetry. And that's the secret sign. If we let people know how to do that, we're finished. Everyone can write poems. Everyone can write Raglan Road. Everyone can write New England. We're We're Done for, so we have that intuitive skill to be able to take those lines of uh, 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 of moments, those outlines of of the relationship, and and Kavanaugh does it so beautifully in the song as he makes it like a stroll around a city. It's very clever, but he's also he's also using some some really uh, some really sort of pop music tones, you know. The Queen of Hearts still making tarts, you know, that's Smokey Robinson right there. I mean, that's the sort of thing he might come up with, you know. He's really on the 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 kind of edge of writing a a, a pop song. But he's really, to me, he's really talking about the, the the creative process deep down. I
3: gave her the gifts of the
7: mind. I
3: gave her the secret sign. That's known to
5: all the artists who Have known true
3: gods of sound and tone And word and tint I never did stint I gave her poems to say With her own name there And her long dark hair like clouds
1: On Raglan Road, status continues to grow. In 2019, it was voted Ireland's favourite folk song. In recent years, it has been performed by some of the biggest names in contemporary pop, such as Ed Sheeran, as well as by some of the most vibrant voices in contemporary Irish music, such as Lisa O'Neill and Ye Vagabonds. The mix of love, loss, grief, memory and place contained within it continues to resonate deeply with artists and listeners. It is perhaps most frequently referred to as a song of unrequited love, as one of the great songs of unrequited love. This, however,
3: as Daryl O'Malley suggests,
1: is perhaps something of a misconception.
3: People will say that, you know, oh, Raglan Road, that it's a song about unrequited love. But I think... (laughs) I don't think Paddy's love for Hilda was unrequited because until the day she died in 1991, Paddy was always a huge part of her life. She remained very fond of him and I, I think had a great love for him. You know, uh, her husband, Dunnock got into Doll in 1954 and as he bet on horses, he often met Paddy in the closest betting shop to the doll which was, of course, Paddy Caffner's betting shop as well. That was Kilmartins in South Anne Street. And he would come back to Limerick at the weekends and say, I met Caffner in Kilmartins during the week. And uh, my mother, Hilda, would always say to him, oh, did you? And and did you give him a few pounds? And Donach O'Malley, when he became, in 1961, he took up his first position in government Kavanagh went on to the list uh, of invitees. He became an invitee to all state functions. And uh, when he became Minister for Education, even though it didn't come to pass until after Dúnach O'Malley died in 68, it was Dúnach O'Malley who got six Kavanagh poems in the book Soundings when he was was Minister for Education. That's how many Irish students got to know Kavanagh's work. And also during all that time, Whenever there was a big race uh, like the Grand National or the Derby or or the 2000 Guineas, Kavanaugh would send Hilda a telegram which would be delivered to the house in Limerick by a telegram boy would knock on the door and a telegram would be delivered and it would be Kavanaugh's tip for the big race. And um, I think it was uh, 1960... Was it 1963... A tip arrived for the Grand National, for Hilda should back Ayala, uh, which was trained by Keith Pickett, who was Lester Piggott's father, and ridden by Paddy Buckley. And, of course, Hilda, having been very familiar with going into betting shops, went into a betting shop in Limerick and had £2 each way on Ayala in the Grand National in 1963. And lo and behold, Ayala won the Grand National at 66 to 1 and Hilda collected her winnings of 153 pounds and she proceeded to buy a piano in Savon's shop in Limerick and the, the piano arrived at the house and it was always, uh, from that day on, always known. The piano was never played. Uh, I was sent for piano lessons, but the piano was never played but forevermore it was known as Paddy's Piano but uh, Hilda was always very close to Paddy and he was often in her thoughts and and uh, she always had uh, on on the coffee table at home she she always had there uh, and would pick it up from time to time Kavanagh's book collected collected poems and she'd browse through that so i i don't think On Raglan Road could ever be described as a poem about unrequited love i'd say it's more Uh, should be remembered and thought of as something which has resulted from great pain but um, more a hymn, a hymn to lost love uh, rather than unrequited because uh, without a shadow of a doubt it was never an unrequited love.
2: On Raglan Road Of an autumn day I saw her first, and knew that her dark hair would weave a snare that I might one day rue. I saw the day. And I passed along the enchanted way And I said let grief be a fallen leaf At the dawning of the day on Grafton Street in November We tripped lightly along the ledge Of a deep ravine where can be seen The worth of passion's play. The queen of hearts still making tarts And i not making hay Oh, I loved too much And by such, by such is happiness thrown i gave her gifts of the mind i gave her the secret sign that's known to the artists who have known the true gods of sound and the stone And word and kin to without stint I gave her poems to say With her own name there And her own dark hair Like clouds On a quiet street where all ghosts meet, I see her walking now.
7: Away
2: from me so hurriedly, my reason must last. That I had loved not as I should A creature made of clay When the angel woos, The clay he'd lose His wings at the dawn